So hello and welcome to Conversations with Ipswich School, our podcast where we talk to six formers um, and to old Ipswichians, our former students. So today I'm welcoming Charles Crollick Root, a former Ipswich School student and Coastal Resilience Advisor. Hi Charles. Hi. And Charles will be speaking with Neha, who's in our sixth form. So thank you for coming on to talk to us. I was just wondering if you could maybe explain a little bit about what it is you do as a coastal resilience advisor and maybe like what an average day might entail for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So I work in the public sector for an organisation called Coastal Partnership East. We are a sort of shared service across three maritime local authorities. So North Norfolk District Council, Great Yarmouth Borough Council and East Suffolk Council. So because we can share services across the whole of the frontage, we have sort of a bigger pool of resources to call upon. So our team ranges from people who work in engineering to community engagement and sort of funding and finance. Uh, It's quite a large organisation. So my role within that team as a resilience advisor is to, well, it's split into a couple of parts. So in the Great Yarmouth area, I'm responsible on delivering resilience measures along the coastal frontages in Great Yarmouth. I also have oversight of what our partner organisations are doing in the area. So they are people like the Environment Agency, Anglian Water, uh, County Council as well, um, because they all have a sort of role to play in um, flooding and coastal resilience. The rest of my time is spent working on a project called Resilient Coasts. This is um, an £8.4 million project that's funded by the Environment Agency through DEFRA. The aim of it is to sort of deliver a suite of tools for planning, engagement, technical function, finance and policy. These tools are designed so that communities can adopt them and a way for the to support the communities dealing with coastal change. And the idea or what we would hope for is that the pilot areas that we have along our Suffolk and Norfolk coast can be used as a framework to other parts of the UK where there is an, um, a changing coastline. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part of that, my role in that project is delivering on risk mapping and asset mapping. So that is understanding what the risk is to our coastline. So that involves partly understanding the science behind erosion and coastal change. And then also I need to understand what we actually have along the coastline that is at risk. So Mm -hmm. you've got obvious things like properties and roads and railway lines, but we've also got a lot of um, underground infrastructure coming in through our coast um, with all the offshore wind. There's a huge amount that comes in across Suffolk and Norfolk. Yeah, that's, that's my role in a nutshell, really. Yeah, no, that's great. If you don't mind me asking, did you do a geography BSc course at uni or? I studied ecology and biogeography. So right. the way that our university worked was that there were, I think you, you touched on this a bit earlier that you said that there's a lot of overlap between the BA and the BSc courses. Mm-hmm. So our ecology course could overlap with both physical geography and some biomedical science modules and the more human geography things Mm -hmm. because it acknowledged that there is value in that overlap I suppose Mm -hmm. so mine was yeah mine was a BSc Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I think like geography in itself is a very like, obviously there are different facets of geography, but it is like extremely interconnected as a subject. Yeah. I feel like it is kind of part of every sort of corner of society in a way. So yeah. there's so much overlap between so many different, you know, parts of learning. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And and if you look at the way that so many different sort of genres if you like of geography or ecology mm -hmm. or evolutionary biology all use sort of geographic information systems and mapping to sort of enrich their research and consultancy and things like that that the geography there underpins a lot of it mm -hmm. yeah so i wanted to ask since leaving ipswich school kind of what has the journey been like for you to reach where you are now yeah, it's been, it's not the most direct route, I wouldn't say. Uh, mm -hmm. I When I left Ipswich School, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I did a two-year national diploma at Otley College in fishery management, mm -hmm. which was really interesting, loads of good fun. I was outside a lot doing all sorts of things. There was a lot of biology involved, which I think Mr. Orbell would be pleased about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I do actually remember sitting in classes in the National Diploma thinking, oh, thankfully, I know what an endocrine system is and things like yeah. that. So that was quite, <laughs> quite nice. Yeah, so I did that for two years and I got a really good grade in that, which meant mm -hmm. I had lots and lots of UCAS points. So I had lots of options for where I could study. And it was during that mm -hmm. course that I decided I'd like to go into ecology because there was a big chunk of that course was centered around sort of river restoration and river management but from a biodiversity and fisheries point of view i decided i didn't want to go into fisheries and it's it's really really competitive and i think you probably have to move around a lot what is fisheries exactly you would either be looking at jobs in fish farming or fishery management or wildlife management around rivers so right um the more romantic sense of things you could be managing a salmon river in scotland but <laughs> you could also end up living on a fish farm in anywhere that does ornamental yeah. fish or something and it's it's mm -hmm. quite intense yeah so then i went i decided to look for ecology courses and i think because of the amount of ucas points i had i got an unconditional offer from brighton and it was a place that i know is quite good fun or i knew it was quite good fun i now know it um and it being on the coast as well and also within the south downs national park was a big bonus for me and because of that the course the ecology course did a lot of field work in the surrounding area uh in sort of triple si's so sites of special scientific interest and, and things like that which was a big bonus for me mm -hmm. um that was the the, the draw was there then whilst I was doing that degree, I got a job as a field surveyor for Thompson Ecology, who are a ecology consultancy. And my role, there was about 20 to 30 ecologists on site at any time, but we were just trapping water voles and moving them from area that was going to be flooded by the RSPB. Um, it was part of the Crossrail project uh, near South End. Um, it's now a new RSPB reserve. So that was sort of my first bit of work experience. And then during that BSc course, I decided I was quite interested in geographic information systems. So mapping and the computer centric sort of technology yeah. behind it. 
And I ended up doing an, a master's MSc in that, which I really enjoyed. It was a really good opportunity to be able to focus on the aspects of the BSc course that I enjoyed and put some research together into the parts that I was most interested in. Yeah. And then whilst I was just finishing off the master's, so you do it in three sections. So, well, I did it in three sections. So there was a semester one of modules, semester two of modules, and then a third section to carry out the um, dissertation. And whilst I was doing the dissertation, I ended up applying for and, and getting this job as an intern at a company called Argyle Environmental, yeah. which are based in Brighton. And they do... Uh, flood risk and contaminated land risk, which was where the flood angle kind of came in. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I worked there for a number of years. I worked my way up to a senior consultant and became a chartered scientist, which is like a industry accreditation for mm -hmm. mines with the Institution of Environmental Science. But you could get it if you were a chemist or a biologist or a physicist, say. And then, so I worked in the sort of risk world. The majority of what we did was due diligence reports for sort of right. large scale housing transfers, things like that. And then due to a sort of difficult family situation, I had to move back to Ipswich. And at that point, I decided to start up on my own as freelance, but I started my limited company and I did that for three years. So that was doing flood risk assessments for new developments and then gradually, like as, as that sort of built up, I gradually started getting more work in the public sector and it got a bit, it didn't get difficult, but it, it, I could see that there was a potential risk that there would be a conflict of interest because if you're working for local authorities who are then assessing your planning application for, yeah. for flood risk, then so I decided to pack the business up um, and mm. have moved into the public sector full time. Mm. And it was also changes in IR35 rules around the way that you would have to manage payment for individuals working full-time for local authorities. So it seemed like the right time. And then mm -hmm. more recently, I've moved into the coastal work because there's a huge amount of overlap really in the resilience side of things from flooding of working in land to working on the coast. And that's where I am now um, with mm -hmm. lots more trips to the beach than I ever envisaged that I'd have. <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds good. I mean, it sounds like what you do is very hands-on and very much like practical work. And I think that's kind of, I know at uni, they really emphasise like the practical aspect of geography. So that was sort of one of the things that drew me in, like the idea of going out like hands-on into the world, and like standing in rivers and stuff, just kind of like it really excites me. So yeah, that was a big factor for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think it's important like to not only have that during a degree course or earlier, but also when you're in the world of work, you, it's easy to end up spending all your time behind the desk or on Teams calls yeah. and not actually taking time to get out and not only into the environment, but also meeting the public and engaging with the people that your work impacts. Mm. Do you think that maybe, so I have a question about kind of the younger generation and the way that they kind of view the environment and just environmentalism as a whole and do you think that the fact that so many jobs are kind of centered around like you were saying kind of in that desk environment corporate um like this sort of those types of jobs are kind of 
very much pushed onto us in society, I would say. Do you feel like there's kind of an ecological awareness that is reduced when we're pushed into those sorts of jobs? Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's possibly multiple parts to it. I think I think you can be working in a, an environmental sector job behind a desk and there is such a drive to be efficient that we have a lot of things automated and you can also end up being a bit far removed from what is actually happening on the ground. I think that mm. is a risk and you know I I don't think anyone's to blame for it really but I th- I just think that it's something that we should be aware of but then mm-hmm. I also think yeah it, it's so much easier to work with a computer and be behind the desk all the time because you can reply to your emails quickly that you can end up just not getting out on site and not seeing yeah. things and I think for me when I was doing more desk based work I used to try and volunteer as much as I could with the South Downs National Park just to mm-hmm. get that time getting out. Yeah. Which seemed a bit strange. I, a lot of the people I was volunteering with thought that I was sort of volunteering when my day job would have been the same thing, but it's not always the way. Yeah, right. yeah I think that, yeah, there's definitely, you definitely, we are definitely corralled in that direction. But then also, I think. There are a lot of people who appreciate that being outside is something that they want. And as a result, the competition for those jobs is quite strong. And I think because of that, they tend to not be the best paid positions. Right. But I think as time goes on and as people start to appreciate that losing people in those positions also means losing a lot of knowledge, because typically if you're in that position, you learn a lot about your local area that they will become better paid and more sort of respected positions. You'll no longer have this feeling where, well, you're sacrificing something for that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think as, as we progress over, certainly over my, the time that I've been working, those positions have probably been more and more valued. And we're now seeing the people who are sadly becoming perhaps too old to do the more physical outdoor work, retiring Mm -hmm. and everyone's panicking because we need to get all of that knowledge out of their brain Mm -hmm. yeah no that makes sense do you feel like like what do you think can be done to kind of make these younger generations more aware of the importance of these sorts of jobs I think you've really got to just make people aware that they are there that the jobs are there and Mm -hmm. there are people doing these roles I know that you'll often see you'll be watching like country file or something like that and there's someone on there who's dedicated their life to a certain mushroom or something and it's <laughs> and it's amazing and yeah. it's great that they're doing that and that kind of that sort of thing opens people's eyes up to it um mm-hmm. but they, i think also you need to make sure that people we you know with climate change and we need to make people more aware that they are a stakeholder in nature and as mm-hmm. you know biodiversity is something that we all need to have some responsibility over i suppose mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think I think if you make people aware that they, there are roles out there and there there is a path in that direction, then they then have the option to pursue it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I also wanted to ask: Have there been any particular highlights for you working in the environmentalism sector? I would say probably over the past two or three years, when I've been working more on more engagement work so i'm working closer with the community and community groups 
and understanding how they're impacted by one flooding, but also coastal erosion. And a highlight for me would be when you begin working with a community who've perhaps been impacted by flooding, who then form a community flood group, and they then take initiative themselves to Mm -hmm. lead on projects you probably wouldn't get funding for from central government because they're too small. And that's in my head is filling in the gaps in where certain funding mechanisms aren't able to achieve the smaller scale flood benefits that we need. And seeing communities do that is is so, so valuable. I know that kind of, I mean, you've been talking a lot about kind of how hands-on your work is. And I was just wondering, does it ever get sort of frustrating or maybe even a bit distressing at times that you're kind of actively seeing the impact of climate change and seeing these increasing rates and changes is there something that kind of like is there an underlying worry that you have at times yeah I think so I think I I would say yeah I've probably the word I would use to describe it is sort of stark because I remember whilst I was at school it was probably called global warming and then you've it, it's been in it's been taught to us i can actually remember it being taught when i was in the prep school by mm-hmm. mrs smith and then i think it's cuz it's been in our conversations pretty much all of my life right. i think that now that we're seeing impacts of it such as increased surface water flooding in particular so people who don't even live near a river experiencing flooding from heavy downpours Mm. or people who've spent a lot of money on a coastal home that is now close to the edge or has been had to be demolished i suppose it is frustrating but it almost almost kind of feels like there is it's a bit of a sort of beast that's coming that we can't really change we can only mitigate against um Mm -hmm. which is sad but yeah i i think I don't know if it's particularly frustration, but it might be you have to remind yourself sometimes that and, and not let yourself get a bit sort of jaded by it all, really. Mm. But yeah, there is definitely that feeling is definitely there. Mm-hmm. Is that just a bit more of an incentive for you to keep going with your own work? Yeah, it it is when you see the changes that people make and also the innovation that comes out of these sorts of things you know I think when there is pressure to change people tend to have a really remarkable way of finding new innovations and new technology that can yeah it's sort of out of the box thinking I was doing some research for my personal statement I was reading a couple of articles and some books and I came across this guy who lives in I think it's like northern India and because of climate change sort of the glaciation in his village was kind of the um like the timelines were sort of a bit messed up so they weren't getting water for their crops at the right time because the glaciers were melting you know too late or too early um so I think it was he managed to create his own glaciers he's called like the Iceman of Ladakh or something he managed to create his own glaciers a sort of at like a lower altitude so that they would melt in time for his village's crop season and I just think things like that show how like like you were saying how pressure does breed innovation and it is just quite 
crazy to see like what people can come up with and what people can do yeah it's just adaptation in quite a raw sense isn't it you know you've yeah you've seen what the problem is and you've found a solution Mm -hmm. it's really impressive what people do yeah it really is and so coming back to the subject of Ipswich school I was wondering if maybe there was anything you remember enjoying about your time here any fond memories you wouldn't mind sharing yeah I've I've been thinking about this recently but Mm -hmm. one thing that stuck out was um there was a history teacher called Mr Gray I don't know if he's still there um, I'm not sure, honestly. I don't think so. No, he had a, he did on Thursday afternoon, you could do an activity mm-hmm. and he did an environmental sort of conservation activity. You know, I think it was oh. called, it started off called Green with Grey, mm-hmm. but then I think it <laughs> got name. called the Green Team. And there was near the pavilion, mm-hmm. there was yeah. uh, tennis courts at the back and there was an yes. area there where he'd had sort of a garden type thing and a wormery and stuff like that but we also oh. did bits of conservation work at where Westwood is there's yes. a back grass bank that goes down to Valley Road right. over the other side um down there but I, yeah that was yeah I would think that was probably the first sort of conservation stuff I did and and mm. as a consequence I volunteered for a long long time any school trips that you remember going on as well, geography or otherwise? Uh, we, we went to Cumbria, actually. In I've heard a lot about Cumbria. Yeah. I, mm. I don't know how old I would have been. When was that, year seven or eight or something? I think I, was it year eight? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gets mentioned at least once a week. <laughs> really feel like I've missed out. <laughs> a couple of good skiing trips. I think we, we went to Colorado one year, which was oh, really? really good, really, really cold. Oh. mm Someone licked a lamppost and they're stuck, they got stuck to it. But <laughs> And just as a last question, is there anything that maybe you could recommend current students getting involved with in school or out of school? I don't know. Probably from an environmental perspective, I would probably say any sort of volunteering that you can do with organisations such as wildlife trusts or the areas of outstanding natural beauty mm-hmm. those sorts of organizations yeah offer loads and loads of volunteering things and they are good fun and it's mm-hmm. really good to get out having you know even if you're just chopping down some scrub and bushes and stuff in winter and having a big fire it's quite mm-hmm. a nice thing to do it's quite yeah. good for your brain and your soul and you i think it's something that i wish i had done earlier on mm-hmm because you meet such a broad range of people doing it. Um, And I think that's quite valuable in understanding all of the different stakeholders for the environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would probably be my advice there. Well, thank you both very much. I'm going to jump back in. Um, That was really interesting. Um, I'm going to jump in with the final questions for both of you. So, Charles, what advice would you give to your younger self looking back? I would probably say... Probably don't be too worried if you think that the direction your work and career is heading in is not the straightest line. It it doesn't matter if it's wiggly because the amount of transferable skills that you pick up doing different things, they all overlap and, and also be patient. I think that's brilliant advice. In fact, wiggly, squiggly careers are really trendy at the moment <laughs> so you were ahead of your it. time yeah they it's the are. first it's... time i've been called trendy 
Yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> it's the career to have nowadays. Neha, what about you? What what advice would you give to your younger self? I would say probably just really simple. Probably like just chill out a little bit. Kind of just not think too hard about things. I feel like like 11 is an age where you're allowed to get away with just not thinking about things too much I'd say kind of if you have opportunities just go for them don't overthink things and just yeah make the most of everything that comes your way I think yeah yeah that's great advice that's better than mine (laughs) I think they're both good and they're both consistent aren't they I thought the squiggly wiggly stuff was pretty good (laughs) (laughs) it just seems such a long time ago yeah (laughs) yeah no, they, I mean, you're both saying, you know, relax, don't don't yeah. overthink things. And if things wiggle and squiggle, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Really, really interesting speaking to both of you. You'll be pleased to know, Charles, that the uh, green team is now called the eco team and it's going it's going strong. So yes, it's still great. there. Oh, is it really? I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, no. Might have to get on board. Yeah, Yeah, you will. It's, it's, well, you should. It's really good. It's up, it yeah, still definitely. goes up to Westwood and they do gardening there. And there's an, another group who do the eco occasional. So the uh, there's an environmental team as well as as well oh, as cool. the uh, the gardeners at Westwood. Um, thank you both so much. It was really really interesting. Thank you for joining us, Charles, and thank you for doing all the interviewing, Neha. Thank you and goodbye. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode. I've really enjoyed discovering the many different ways in which geography and ecology play out in our day to day lives. It's also been interesting to hear again that volunteering and being involved with the community can bring so much enjoyment. Thank you for listening. To listen to any of the other episodes, take a look at our website, ipswich.school. The next episode is out soon. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe or follow us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.